and welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, bringing you two hours of conversation, really important information and interviews that I think will help you and for your loved ones. Um, I'm going to begin today by bringing you some critical information from the FLCCC, the Frontline Critical Care Alliance. So if you bear with me here for a minute, I'm going to go ahead and get this going for you. These are the founding physicians of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. They convened to develop highly effective treatment protocols to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 and to improve the outcomes for patients ill with the disease. Today, they want you to know how to prevent COVID-19, even against the variants. This is the molecule of ivermectin, the medicine that can end the pandemic. Ivermectin was discovered and developed in 1975 in Japan by Dr. Satoshi Amura and Dr. William Campbell. In 2015, Drs. Amura and Campbell each received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for Ivermectin's discovery. They deserved it. The medicine has brought relief and saved the lives of millions across the globe for nearly 40 years. Ivermectin was first used in humans in 1987 for the treatment of parasitic diseases. It has eradicated pandemics of numerous diseases for four decades. Plus, for nearly 40 years, it has been given safely across the world nearly four billion times. Ivermectin is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. It has been deemed to be one of the safest medicines known to mankind. But this workhorse of a drug is not yet finished. In the past eight months, numerous controlled clinical trials are reporting consistent, large improvements in COVID-19 patient outcomes when treated with ivermectin. People treated with ivermectin experience numerous clinical benefits. Fewer infections, reduced inflammatory markers, more rapid improvement, more rapid viral clearance, shorter hospitalization, and a reduction in mortality. As you can see, ivermectin has been very well studied across the world. In fact, the amount of scientific medical evidence is mountainous. As of July 16, 2021, 60 clinical studies, including 30 randomized controlled trials, have evaluated the role of ivermectin in the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. Here's how it works. Ivermectin inhibits the replication of many viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, influenza, and others. Ivermectin has potent anti-inflammatory properties with multiple mechanisms of action. Ivermectin diminishes viral load and protects against organ damage in animal models of SARS-CoV-2 infection. 
It prevents transmission of COVID-19 when taken either pre- or post-exposure. It hastens recovery and decreases hospitalization and mortality in patients with COVID-19. And it leads to far lower case fatality rates in regions with widespread use. Then, when ivermectin is used with the additional components in the FLCCC Alliance's iMask Plus protocol, it can work even better in preventing COVID-19. So here is what the FLCCC Critical Care Physician Team recommends. Just like you keep a first aid kit around the house, please start keeping a just-in-case COVID kit. Here is what the kit contains. Ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, quercetin, zinc, melatonin, and gargle or mouthwash. You can find our Eye Mask Plus protocol plus all of our prevention and treatment protocols at flccc.net. We wish you a lifetime of good health. So that is from the FLCCC, and I just love those folks. And, you know, as it said in the introduction of that short video, these are top pulmonary care specialists, some of the top experts about COVID who've been working in ICUs from the very beginning and who really know uh, the best treatments, and they continue to update their treatment protocols as more is learned, as variants emerge, uh, they stay on top of it. So I really encourage you to go check them out, um, build yourself a COVID kit. I'm not giving medical advice, I'm giving just friendly suggestions here. And I don't give legal advice on this show as well. I just give you some information, you go explore, consult with those you love and trust and make your own decisions. But I tell you, um, we all just need to be prepared. And um, for those of you who are watching the video portion of this um, streaming or recorded, you'll see right now that um, the image on the screen give two very stark um, images one, uh, that are starkly different. We have health maintenance with healthy young people high-fiving each other dressed for exercise out in nature. And then we have um, opposing that disease maintenance, somebody geared up head to toe, gloves, mask, hoodie, glasses on, um, telling with a handout to stay away. So we have been living in the public health response to viral infection in the disease maintenance approach, which is highly profitable to the pharmaceutical industry, but absolutely devastating to individual health, to actual public health. And it's, it's really time for everybody to speak up, stand up, get fully informed on what real health is about and change this dynamic. COVID has shown us that public health agencies are captured by pharma, by the most expensive um, method of attempting to address what's going on and they are making things absolutely worse 
absolutely worse. So go to informedchoicewa.org and childrenshealthdefense.org. Children's Health Defense is um, sponsoring an hour of our radio show every week. We are so grateful for their support and for the excellent job they do putting information out there, hyperlinked to all the studies, the science, the data, so you can go see for yourself. Mainstream news is not covering it. In fact, a local here in Washington state, a local news station, I was so appalled. They ran with these headlines. FDA says, don't take ivermectin. And they had an image of human ivermectin. And then the whole article was about horse ivermectin that the FDA says, don't take the veterinary version of this medicine. It was so misleading absolutely misleading misinformation. Where's the due diligence of our journalists, of our major media to check out what they're putting out there? This is false and dangerous information when we really need now more than ever um, ivermectin plus all the nutrient protocols in order to prevent severe disease. Early treatment is absolutely necessary here. Um, the the vaccine products are failing to prevent transmission per the CDC. The vaccine products are leading those who get them to be at higher risk of severe disease if exposed to the Delta variant per the CDC. So these mandates are appalling. And some of the, um, some of the things private industry and, and others are doing to individuals is absolutely appalling and not based on the facts here. And with me today, I have a gentleman, his name is Sam Allen, and he's gonna tell you the journey of what he has been on. Um, and this has to stop because he just represents many, many people who the same thing is happening to him. So I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and bring him on. Hi, Sam. Hello. Hi. Um, so I, I'm so appreciative of your willingness to speak about what's happened to you, because like I said, it is happening to so many others here. So let's start at the very beginning. Could you um, tell listeners a little bit about yourself and about your health history pre-COVID? Well, in 2014, I was diagnosed with several different conditions, and it led to an open heart surgery, which was didn't turn out super well for me. So I apparently what they tell me, I was knocked out, of course, uh, that I had a heart attack on the table and my heart didn't restart. So I suffered some heart damage to my right side. And I had uh, mitral valve regurgitation, I had an aortic aneurysm, and several other things that just complicated everything. And over the course of the next few years, they, they finally determined that my heart was damaged enough to where I required a transplant. And so two and a half years ago, after a lot of tests, um, they put me on the transplant list. And then in May, I went in for a, uh, like every two or three months, I go in to meet with my cardiologist and he does tests and you know sees where I'm at. And he told me that he was going to elevate me to the status four, which goes to six, you know, mm -hmm. and four. So four was moving me up, getting me closer to my transplant. Okay. Uh, and then in June, I had another appointment. And at that point, I decided I didn't want to wear a mask. 
in the hospital because it restricts my breathing. I have uh, sh shortness of breath issues anyway. Mm -hmm. So really makes it difficult for me to breathe. And so I was confronted by the, the people at the elevator where you get it going to the hospital and they said, can't come in without a mask. And I says, well, I can't, I'm not, not putting one on. Mm -hmm. And so they brought And you have, you qualify for, you know, in anybody's book, a medical exemption, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I do qualify, but mm -hmm. I didn't want to use that as an excuse. Um, I, I just soon. But in a hospital setting, you'd think they would have been respectful that ill people coming in with difficulty breathing and bad hearts should not have restricted breathing. So go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I actually, uh, they, once they brought their supervisor out, the head of the RNs, I actually said, so if I have issues breathing and I can't wear a mask, that means I can't have um, healthcare here? He goes, it's our policy that everybody that comes in the door um, puts on a mask. And so I promptly turned around and walked out the door without seeing any healthcare provider. So, wow. Uh, um, and I thought that was kind of, you know, okay, well, whatever. And yeah. then, and then, so the doctor called me, the cardiologist called me because I missed my appointment and asked me what was going on. And I says, well, you know, I didn't want to wear a mask. You know, and so he says, well, you know that uh, you're going to have to get a vaccine in order to uh, go through with the transplant. And I says, well, that's the first I've heard that. No one's told me that before. Um, he says, well, yeah, that's, that's our policy. And so uh, shortly after that, I received a letter that tells me that I've been removed from the list because he, the cardiologist told me that they would put me on a... Uh, a holding list or a waiting list to get back on once I complied with their policies and recommendations. Mm -hmm. And I just told him, I said, well, I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. going to take the vaccine. And so I received the, the notice saying, you're, you're not on the list anymore. So I wrote him a letter and, and uh, told him how disappointed I was with their lack of scientific method. Um, mm -hmm. They, they've not done their due diligence to find out what the, the ramifications of the vaccine are what, or, or masks or, or any of the policies that they've been put in place. They just flat out put out dictates that you're not getting a heart. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that that was kind of reactionary. And they sent me back a note saying, well, you know, we understand your distress and concern. Um, but once you change your mind, we'll put you back on the list. Oh, good grief. And so I wrote him another letter saying, you don't understand. I'm not distressed and I'm not concerned. I'm just not going to do what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. uh, because you guys are not acting like doctors. And um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, not, it's yeah. not a matter of me making a decision. You guys change the rules on me. Yeah. So here I am. I'm I'm seeking other alternative medicines, um, other, mm -hmm. other things, because, you know, although the, the care that I got from the UW was excellent, the nurses are excellent, and I love the nurses. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't say enough about the people, and the doctors are good. It's just from somewhere on high, they, they mandated 
policies to exclude people like me and Derek Kovic, who was denied a liver, and mm -hmm. Joshua Hunter, who was denied a lung mm -hmm. or lung transplant. And I don't know much about their stories, but I know that they also have been told that they must be vaccinated to get medical treatment at the UW. Wow. It's, as you said, it's not, it is, is not founded on science. You know, all, where is the medical due diligence? And part of the part of the reason we ended up as far deep into the mess we are with these absurd policies is that the way the medical industry is run is like an industry. And dictates come from on high and policies are set by those who are not working actually in the office patient you know with patients trying to make the best decision for pa patients they're motivated by other reasons altogether and everybody has been compliant we have a nation of of rule followers and you know it's it it, it really annoys me I, I believe in following rules that make sense that have a solid basis a sound basis in in achieving the goals that they are stated to achieve, I will obey and follow laws that make sense. But mankind writes these things. And when they are absurd or make no sense, it's our duty as American citizens, supposedly in a free country, to oppose them. I mean, that's how you that's how you keep freedom, right, Sam? You keep yeah. freedom when people in power issue things that are unsound, unsafe, unethical, immoral, you stand up against them. So, you know, we know that private, well, publicly about on average across the United States, about half of the medical community is refusing this vaccine or these vaccines. They have seen the damage, they've done the research, they don't want to get it. Um, but others, who are working in major hospital systems often are still following the rules and not pushing back. And there must be an awful lot of money um, driving these policies and fear being used to keep people adhering to these policies, you know, because it's not based on science. The CDC has admitted that the, um, the vaccine products can cause heart inflammation. Why would your doctors want you to get a product that causes heart inflammation? Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that really kind of struck me. You know, there's all kinds of different uh, uh, maladies that come from this, is, and it's one of the worst things is the blood clots. The blood that, clots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that seems to be kind of a universal problem with these vaccines, or like I, I like to call them. Um, experimental gene therapies because that's yeah. what they are yeah they're not they're not fitting in the definition of a vaccine or the traditional definition of a vaccine because there's there's no part of the virus in the vaccine and that's what gives you your immunities is the yeah the, the part that of the vaccine right and and mm -hmm, the three that are out there have the program messaging, the mRNA genetic messaging to make the cells of your own body make 
a genetically altered stabilized version of the spike protein that's in the wild virus. It's not the same spike protein, it's a different one. And when you have an immune reaction, you are making antibodies to that synthetic altered stabilized spike protein. And lo and behold, it turns out it, those antibodies to that does, do not prevent transmission, don't prevent infection, don't prevent hospitalization, and don't prevent death, and they don't prevent you from getting, they actually increase, they're causing antibody-dependent enhancement. So measures of um, individuals' blood who've been vaccinated shows that they are developing what's called enhancing antibodies. And these antibodies, if you get exposed to a variant of SARS-CoV-2 help that um, variant infect you and leads to more severe disease. Rochelle Walensky admitted as much on national television. And so to expect anybody, let alone somebody who's due for a heart transplant. And the other thing that, that is a big unknown is for how long the effects of your body generating that spike protein last. And I believe you mentioned a young woman who, who I read about as well, uh, Simone Scott. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so 19 year old college student didn't handle the first version of the first dose of the vaccine. Well, but mostly recovered with her second dose, her parents couldn't get a hold of her and, um, forgive me if I, don't, if I don't get the details exactly right, but I believe they had to call the police who had to break into her room. And they found her, her um, she was in severe cardiac arrest and they did give her a heart transplant, but they didn't consider that her body was still making spike protein. Mm -hmm. They gave her a precious heart from a generous donor without considering what could happen in a recently vaccinated person. You know, what could happen to this new heart? And, and yet they're trying to create that condition for you intentionally. <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 yeah that's, that's a really a sad story. Right. Cause it, yeah. Simone Scott was, you know, she's in the prime of her life and she was fortunate enough to be in a place where she could actually get the transplant because I mean, she was never on a waiting list. I mean, she was just no. brought in and Somehow, I think because of her way. age and yeah, it, somebody's very young and healthy and, I think that's one of the things they determine, they wait who gets the first ones is who's gonna really probably benefit. I don't think I completed to the audience to, for people listening is that she did not survive, that the, um, yeah, that the, the heart was damaged um, and she did not survive and, and the donated heart was lost as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there must've just, happened to have been a heart available for her because mm -hmm. otherwise she doesn't get that transplant and yeah. it just must have been real good timing for her unfortunately it didn't Unfor help her no and you know that is one of the most concerning things about all this is the lack of critical thinking in the medical community they're going along with this and with these policies and they're not stopping to think they should be deeply researching all of the science about what you know, published peer-reviewed science is coming out about the length of time that spike protein circulates in the blood, gets into every organ of the body, um, what those spike proteins can do. Um, there's no caution. There's absolutely no caution happening. In fact, after the um, 
ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, acknowledged at this meeting, public meeting, that um, all three of the vaccines could cause heart inflammation. They added a warning to the fact sheet that vaccine recipients are supposed to be given before they get it, but they're often not even handed it until after it's too late. They've already been injected. But the advice to people to give giving the vaccine says, if an individual has a history of myocarditis, they qualify for the vaccine. If they get myocarditis to the first shot, but they recover, they can get the second shot. It's just absurd. Not even, you know, myocarditis is always damaging to the heart to some degree. You might not experience the ramifications until years later from the heart damage. It does, but it always causes some damage. And, and to just willy-nilly, it's, it's if nothing, it, only if you die from the first shot will they let you out and get in the second one. It's basically coming down to that. Well, um, the other thing that uh, people might not be aware of is, is uh, the heart tissue is one of the tissues in the body that doesn't regenerate. So once you damage it, it stays damaged. And yeah. Recovery for that's very concerning. Yeah, it's it's amazing the miracle of the human body and of life and how most um, organs and tissues do regenerate, heal. You know, given the right support, our bodies have amazing capacity to heal. Even hearts, even though hearts cannot repair tissue damage, they can bypass blockage. Your Our hearts will, um, if they've got enough time to do it, reroute around blockages it's it's really quite amazing that the um life wants to go on and you just got to give it the right support and building blocks i was so pleased to hear that you are pursuing some alternative treatments at this time do you want to discuss any of that or you don't have to well i'm in the uh, infant stages of that i haven't really um, got too deep into it um, i'm going to see a naturopath next week Good. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what he can do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of hoping for for him to get me off of some of the pharmaceuticals and maybe onto some more natural medicines. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been reading some of the uh, side effects and the the things that these pharmaceuticals do, and I can't can't feel like they're doing me as much good as they are doing me harm. Mm -hmm. You know, and at some point, mm -hmm. the trade-off, you know, because it's, I know for like some of this, the cumulative damage to like my liver and my kidneys and some of that stuff is going to be irreparable. And mm -hmm. I just assume not go down that road. And so I'm, I'm hoping that he can, you know, suggest natural medicines or natural mm -hmm. remedies and mm -hmm. I can forego the pharmaceuticals. Um, but we'll see what where that is, and then there's there's just some uh, other th things that, like I say, I'm in the infant stages of it. But I'm going to pursue some other things, and, and yeah, because I I don't know that I'm going to get any remedies from mm -hmm. the main AMA type systems. No, likely not. They don't pursue that, and and one of the major problems with why early treatment protocols are not being heavily promoted is because they, much of the protocol is on the shelf, ready to go, non-patented nutrients. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, ivermectin's off patent. It's a Nobel Prize winning drug that's off patent, and they're making it more and more difficult to get. It's it's really alarming. So, but we do have a very rich um, natural healing community and functional medicine. And when you called into the show last week, um, there was somebody on the show who um, knows an awful lot about hyperbaric oxygen. And I don't know, you know, if you are a good candidate for that. I don't know if there are any contraindications to that. I'm not a medical person that way. Um, but it, it seems to me that it's got holds a lot of potential because hyperbaric will saturate every cell in your body with oxygen. So it will help do what your heart struggles to do. So you can get all of those other organs, this lovely boost of healing. It boosts um, your ability to create glutathione, which is one of the body's major antioxidants for healing. And it gets the oxygen in there. So it may help keep the rest of you healthy um, and be like an added support. That, that's my hope. And I, I look forward to you ex exploring that. And if you do go down whatever route you do and you find you find things that are helpful. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show so you can share what you learn and your, and your journey, you know, that would be, um, that would be really good. So, you know, Sam, what, what are we going to do? Do you, do you sense that there's any fighting that can be done? Are you, you know, considering legal action for what they have done? You know, I, I don't know if I have any legal recourse, you know, they're ultimately they're a business. Um, they can pick and choose their customers. I don't know legally if they have to treat me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I'm if I'm not living up to what they dictate as as the healthy choice that you know I'm not following their procedures and I'm not following their policies. So therefore, they can't heal me or they can't they don't have a remedy for me because I'm not following their policies and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a bad patient. So. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that plays out. I, I have reached out to uh, some people this to as an inquiry to find out if there's any legal recourse. You know, I'm, I, I'm not real big on on going before a judge and having a third party settle a dispute. I just mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. somebody's going to get burned one way or the other. Somebody's going to come up yeah. with a bad outcome from that, and then you know, I'm not a rich man. Yeah. I don't have I don't have um, unlimited forces their sources yeah uh, but i am i am looking into the possibility of seeing if if there's you know because the way i look at it, this this isn't just about me this is this is me and this is derek this is joshua this is uh the other people that are unnamed mm -hmm. because they've got a big list and i don't know how many different people are saying uh not doing it i'm you know it's not right for my body and so there's got to be a lot of other people that that would step up or even if they don't, you know, even if they don't step up, that they would ha have an opportunity to, to get the life-saving treatment that they need. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, that's worth the fight right there. So I'm, I'm looking into it and we'll see where it okay. plays out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a lot of what Informed Choice Washington does. It's at least try to bring awareness that this is going on. So hopefully people in their own worlds will speak up um, because it's, it's what you're, you're in this life and death situation with the, um, with in need of a transplant, but there are other 
medical situations where people are being denied access to healthcare because they do not want to choose to get this product. And how many other health issues are being caused because of this unwarranted, unscientific discrimination? Um, you know, and it's it's really concerning where all of this might lead. So well, we do are need. To, are they going to um, tell pregnant women they can't give birth in the hospital because they don't have the vaccination? Well, it's possible. You know, the CDC is is saying without any long term studies that it's safe to get vaccinated while pregnant and they're encouraging pregnant women to get it. That's it's insane. appalling. It's it is. It is insane that they would do this. And, you know, we don't know. We, well, it is known that any maternal immune activation from sickness or from vaccination um, increases, you know, stress on the fetus and increases risk of um, certain neurological um, outcomes in the child and different health issues in the child. So maternal immune activation is generally attempted to be avoided. You can't avoid it. You know, even people who um, have, don't have what would be called, you know, something that severe adverse reactions to the shot, they're reporting I, being sicker than a dog, high fever, all of this stuff. And, and you're putting a woman through that, uh, um, a pregnant woman. This is the sort of immune activation you're attempting to prevent. And this woman may never have even been exposed to COVID. Or she may have taken steps under the guidance of her doctor to avoid severe symptoms to COVID, to avoid the big immune reaction, you know? Um, to push there, one size does not fit all. It has never fit all. I remember once when my pop was in the hospital and um, he was in a wheelchair and he, it was too big for him. And we passed somebody in the hall, we were with a nurse and there was a very large gentleman in the same model and size wheelchair. And the nurse, we commented on this and the nurse says, well, that's what we have here at this hospital. One size fits none. Everybody gets the same one and it doesn't fit anybody. <laughs> but they have standard of care by gum, right? And that's what they live and die by. As long as they're complying to whatever the form says they have to do. That's what they do. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so bringing an awareness to this and people just, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it may not be through the courts. It may be just a matter of the court of public opinion that changes all this, that we need, how do we get the science to the forefront? That's what's been so hard when the media is refusing to report the facts or they put such a spin on the facts that by the time it emerges it's it's such double speak isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the media is, i think is going to find out because well i heard a report today that the media people are starting to be affected by this and some of these i've heard some of these people but um they're starting to fall sick mm -hmm. and their colleagues start falling sick maybe they'll start taking a second look at what they've been reporting for the last 18 months. And, and I, 
I don't want these people to die and get sick, but it, you know, at some point, something has to wake these folks up because mm -hmm. they're, they're sleepwalking through this whole thing. And yeah. it's, it's not good. Yeah. Um, there have been some brave journalists who have quit their major networks and, and to speak up because they were forbidden to report on certain things and they've come forward. And, and I hope that um, continues to snowball. You cannot have a free society with a captured media, with a muzzled and censored media. And everything has been under the, the guise of public health. And I'm sure that there are memos and, and letters and issuances from the CDC is, you know, just be really careful what you report because we have to keep, keep people confident and they'll blow anything up out of proportion, you know, but that's not, yeah, it's it, the manipulation and go ahead. Well, whatever happened to just telling us the truth? And that's, mm -hmm. that's all I care about. You know, if, if this vaccine or emergency mm -hmm. gene therapy or, or whatever you want to call it, if that's good for us, show us the data, show us the study, show us the information that proves that this is good for us and it's safe. And if it's not, what are you doing? Yeah. Why, are you, why are you forcing this down our throat? Mm -hmm. it's, it's like the, the used car out in the back of the lot and the, the car salesman keeps pointing to this car and you, and you just, <laughs> he, he's pushing so hard for you to buy this car. You know, you just know that there's something wrong with that car. Yeah. You don't want nothing to do with it. it. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at the shiny Porsche in the front of the lot and he's pointing you to the Vega. <laughs> we don't want that car. You know, no. We don't. And, you know, I, as I've been an advocate for vaccine safety reform and um, regulatory agency reform for quite a while now, there, there have been a lot of risks that were covered up or ignored or not fully studied. Um, things have been licensed way before they had enough information. But what's happening with COVID is so over the top compared to what had happened before it's it's just so way out there and in the past say like even with the the mmr vaccine measles mumps rubella vaccine even though there are some major risks that are being ignored um because the you know the public what the public experienced at large as opposed to those who are harmed but there was more of a an experience perceived experience that it lasted a long time that it actually did protect and most people got it and didn't have a reaction at least not that they're aware of you know and you have like 98 percent uptake rates with minimal coercion there is still some coercion nothing compared to what now but but like requiring it for school but with religious and medical exemptions available that sort of thing but half of the country is refusing these shots even with million dollar lotteries and free food and free joints and um, being blocked from um, travel and now potentially losing their jobs people are still saying no so what does that tell you about this product? It, it is that, it's that, um, what was the name of that car you said, the Vega, the one that um, if your rear ended it, it blew up because they put well, the gas the tank Pinto. in the rear. Oh, the Pinto. 
Yeah, the Vega was worse, worse than the Pinot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't want it. We don't care how you dress it up. It's lipstick on a pig. We don't want it. No. And the licensing, supposedly they licensed Pfizer's. They, they said there was an announcement on the radio. Uh, somebody at the FDA that said, yo, we're so thrilled that we have given it, you know, it's been through the gold standard safety studies and it's safe and effective and now it's licensed. So we know that more people will get it. And we're like, well, what's the difference between yesterday and today? What gold standard, if this is your gold standard, we are in major trouble. Hundreds of thousands of adverse reactions, um, over 13,000 reports of death. Um, I forget how many were up to 11, 12,000 people have reported permanent disability following receipt of these products. You know, it's, I'm just like flabbergasted. <laughs> From what I've read, they haven't actually licensed Pfizer. They license um, a replacement drug called Comirnaty. Yes. It's made by somebody else. And the Pfizer is still actually under the emergency use authorization because they have millions of doses left. And I, the community well, is not even going to be available for a couple of months. Well, you know, it's very confusing. And I've just started looking closely into it myself. And it looks like you've been doing some reading on it. The FDA approval letter is very confusing. Now, mm -hmm. Pfizer has been in partnership with BioNTech in Germany for the EUA product and now for the official license product with a new, with a new name, right? Yeah. And it apparently, they say that it's, they're different in, in legal description only because one's emergency use and the other's a fully licensed. And so they've given it a different name, but it's very deceptive. Um, and I'm hopefully next week, there'll be a little more clarity on this tangle that they have created. So like you said, there's millions of doses of the product under EUA that are left. People are being told though, hey, it's licensed now, get it. You can feel good because the FDA licensed it. It means it's been through gold standard. Never mind that phase three studies have not been completed, will never be completed because they unblinded it and they offered the vaccine to the control group. Mm -hmm. But so people are going, they're actually getting the emergency use authorization product that comes, you, you can't sue the manufacturer for it, but they're being made to believe that something has changed legally with this product for them, nothing has changed. What I'm trying to determine is whether or not once they begin rolling out the licensed product, I don't even know what that means. Was it manufactured after license was issued? Maybe that's what it is. Did you determine that when you were reading it? No, I, it was, it's such a jumble they, mm -hmm. and they do that on purpose that, you know, for the layperson, really doesn't have the ability to sift through it and, and yeah. find out what they're actually doing, but yeah. It's obviously a, a shell game. And the, the one thing that I noticed that they got out of this is right after the FDA said that they had approved this drug, you got uh, every city, major city in America came out and mandated it for their, their first responders and their, their teachers and their everybody that works within their jurisdiction so that they all had to have this 
vaccine immediately. You know, mm -hmm. like go get it right now. And my my father or son-in-law works as a first responder, and they're they basically told them that if he does not get the vaccination, he cannot be a part of the EMT team. He cannot go to do rescues and and have any contact with people. Well, that basically puts him out of a job. Wow. You know, and there, there, fortunately, there's a pretty big pushback on that because there's a lot of people that are finally starting to say, oh, we're not doing this no more. You guys, you guys have overstepped it. Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that's, that's the big thing that, that they got out of this approval is everybody got mandated to take it. And so, yeah. And, and it's gonna, it's gonna cause a lot of people to just either quit or allow themselves to be fired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that the attorneys who speak on it, um, the attorneys tend to recommend wait and be fired because then you have more legal recourse moving forward if they're unjustly firing you. And it's not, it doesn't make any sense. And so what the heck is going on there? We're going to end up call 911. Nobody will come, right. you know, um, here where we live, Sam, um, the, the critical care unit closed because mm -hmm. they said for staff shortage. So you've got a combination of, of staff leaving because they don't want to get this dangerous product. And then you get people who had the dangerous product who are too sick to work. Right. So. Well, what are you going to do? Let's, let's hypothetically say you have a, a 911 call and the EMT does show up and they get you in the ambulance and they get you to the hospital and all the nurses have walked off the job. Yeah. So now what are you going to do? You're, right. it, or or you, you run into, have a rear end accident and you're waiting for the cops to show up. Yeah. Well, they're going to quit. Yeah. You know, and it, this is the part that, that really galls me because at some point you have to, you have to think that this is a plan and you don't know where it's ending. And I, I really believe they want us to be confused and they want us to be in fear. Yeah. And, and because nothing else is really making sense. And, and I've, I've been trying to be logical about this, but it's illogical and mm -hmm. you can't, you can't square the two. No, you know, if it's logical, it's logical. And you can, you can have a discussion or an argument, but if it's illogical, you you just waste time trying to figure out what they're trying to do. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with Brett Weinstein? He's a local PhD um, anthropologist. He's got a, a wonderful podcast called dark horse and he said once in this great interview i believe it was with dr pierre corey of the flccc he said he'd been studying everything going on with covid very closely he's been you know studying the the response the especially the um silencing of effective early treatments like ivermectin and vitamin c and vitamin d hydroxychloroquine. And as an anthropologist, you know, he is excited to learn and study the dynamics of what motivates societies and humans to behave the way they behave. And he said, I don't want to come to this conclusion, but the only conclusion I can come to as to what's happening, why it's happening has got to be about money because nothing else makes sense. 
if it was actually based on the goals of what the stated goals, early treatment would be standard of care or in pre-treatment that the video I started our program off with today, telling you how to build a COVID kit, our Washington State Department of Health should be telling people how to build a COVID kit to be prepared. So day one of symptoms, you begin to address it and you support your immune system so you don't get severe disease. You know, and the hospitals would be, they're already, we learned in spring of 2020 that putting somebody on the on a ventilator, on a COVID patient on a ventilator is like a death sentence to them. Why are they doing it? They're mm -hmm. still doing it. it you know, HBOT, actually, that's why I, I really started getting into HBOT with, um, with COVID because it treats COVID um, pneumonia really well because it saturates the whole body and the Chinese were doing it. And there's some great information, some great research. It's great for COVID. And, um, you know, we're available. In fact, these brilliant engineers um, came up with this aircraft HBOT uh, for critically ill patients. For the masses, we need nutrient protocols. For the masses, we need a cheap drug like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. But, you know, in some places where you have somebody who's hospitalized in critical care, if you can get them into HBOT, you can save them, you know? And so if you take an airplane, and, and we've had all these grounded airplanes because fewer people are flying. And at the height of this, you know, spring um, and going into summer of 2020, there were a lot of grounded jets. Every jet can be turned into a giant H-bot giant that you could be treating hundreds of people at once. Um, you just pressurize the cabin on the tarmac and you can create these H-bots. And this, well, white paper was, was done about it. We can get, you take the wings off the darn thing, you know, or get them from Boeing without the wings and you could drive them down the road to be right outside the hospital for goodness sake, you know? We had a lot of ingenious people come up with ways that could actually save lives. Well, what about the, instead of doing PSAs for um, take the vaccine, take the vaccine, you're all going to die. Um, why wouldn't the doctors come out and say, you know, if you guys that are overweight would lose some pounds and get in shape and, and get healthy, your chances of dying from this disease goes way down yeah or if if you can do a lot of different things you know, like like the vitamin c and some of the other um courses that you take prophylactically yes uh, why isn't anybody saying about that why is why do you never hear that overweight people i think it's 78 percent of the uh, serious cases have been obese people but yeah. it's it's you can't say that because you might offend somebody or I think, I think, I don't know. Why yeah. I, you know, I, just, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, you know, if you want to save a loved one's life and they happen to, you know, be overweight, it has to, you have to address it. You, you just can't ignore it. That doesn't help. That doesn't help them at all. Right. It has to be addressed, you know, and if they really, really wanted to stop poor outcomes to COVID, <laughs> Right. Let's let's close every McDonald's. <laughs> let's let's ban smoking. Let's ban drinking. You know, um, I mean, there's an awful lot we could do to force people to be healthier, but it's just so absurd. You will see outside the grocery store, the workers, 
They come out of there with the masks on. They go around the corner so they can be a distance from the store. They pull down their mask. They start smoking and they're drinking a Diet Coke, you know? And it's like, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. those things alone increase your risk of severe disease. And um, yeah, there, there, there's no rhyme or reason because health is not profitable. Disease is profitable. And I compare like the drug industry and the health industry. Now, I don't mean some of the wonderful doctors and nurses and everybody working in the system. The individuals are good people. They really want to help their patients. But I mean, these systems have been so corrupt. And um, yeah, but these, these disease symptoms, they, they behave sort of like... Um, like a leech or, or the, a sort of monster like an alien where they don't want to outright kill you because they want to feed off of you. They want to feed off of your money. So they make you just sick enough that they can get money out of you, but they want to keep you alive to get as much money out of you as long as possible. Um, and, and so uh, that's how I see this whole thing is, is going on. Disease is highly profitable. The drug model for and fear of disease is highly profitable. Um, so we got one more minute, Sam. Well, and I would I would just add to that that I've heard from several different uh, nurses and doctors that they only have to take like an hour worth of study of nutrition. Yeah. To get to get their license. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's, that, that seems kind of odd. It does. It does seem odd. And Sam, we need to flip the paradigm and put health first, right? Mm -hmm. And not fear disease, but encourage health. And with that, we're going to have to go. Um, so I thank you so much. Stay in touch. I, I'd like to see you get well, and I'd love to have you back to hear about the therapies that you choose. So everyone's been listening to and inform life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have another hour. Hi. I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, with another hour of really important radio. Uh, those of you who can see my, my screen today, uh, my background, um, you know, it, oops, I took my video off. I shouldn't have done that. I'll let everybody see this. Um, we're really in a war here. And it's the war between health maintenance and disease maintenance. It's the war between germ theory and terrain theory. It's, it's the war between medical freedom and medical dictators. The, you know, one side is highly profitable to industry for many reasons. I mean, think about the money being spent on PCR swabs and, and the testing and the facility building. I mean, trillions of dollars globally on so many things that a lot of people are getting rich off of. And the pharmaceutical industry is absolutely thriving. Uh, um, but here we are a year and a half later, and we're still full-blown panic mode. I'm not, but the powers that be are because it's not working. And, and you, it's because you cannot, you cannot control a virus in the method that they're trying to do. It's like trying to catch the wind in a butterfly net. It's just not going to happen, folks. The only thing you can do... Um, is to know all of the effective treatment protocols and to bring all of your tools on, tools on board, perhaps vaccines after they've been thoroughly tested to make sure they're safe enough to do the job, which did not happen, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many scientists and doctors. Um, but our our public health departments from the CDC down to our own Department of Health here in Washington State, their refusal 
to mention one word or spend single penny on early treatment protocols is a crime against humanity. We really are at that stage where I don't know how to call it anything else. Um, Informed Choice Washington, back in August of 2020, petitioned the Washington State Board of Health to convene a committee of practitioners to, to get together to discuss the treatment protocols that even then they knew about in order to share them to prevent severe disease, to save critical ear, ill patients, and to alleviate, alleviate the fear in the public and give them the tools that they could do to protect themselves and to heal themselves at home. And the, the board said, this is a great idea. And then Secretary of Health Wiesman said, yeah, this absolutely should be done, but it's not in our wheelhouse. And um, he says, and besides, I'm too busy fighting COVID. You're too busy fighting COVID to convene a committee for COVID treatments. How does that even make any sense? This whole model of drugs against nature, of making an enemy of nature, although we do have, no, we're not really fighting nature here. We're fighting a lab created gain of function um, uh, virus. And the new variant appears to have some gain of function, things that are slightly different. We won't even go down that rabbit hole, but treatment, early treatment, protect yourself. There's still the same susceptibilities. There are things that can be done and public health is silent about it. And it's absolutely criminal. And where, where's our fifth estate? Or is it the fourth estate? Fifth estate. I'm going to bring on a school teacher who might help me remember which estate it is. His name is Dylan Neary. He's a public school teacher at the Sky Valley Education Center in Monroe. He's certified in chemistry, math, biology, computer science, PE and nutrition, and language arts. This man knows of what he speaks. He's a, he's a renaissance man with his education. He said he has spent most of his time in math followed by computer science. He's an undergrad degree is in biology and master's in biochemistry from Texas A&M. Welcome Dylan to an informed life radio. Thank you Bernadette for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your boldness and courage in these crazy times of, of coming forward publicly um, to talk about what you see going wrong. And, and this is what, this is how it ends. It ends when everybody stands up and refuses to give in to the, the fear that's putting out there because real dialogue, real information is, is what's going to bring us out of it. Um, so tell me, yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure where to begin here. Do you have a starting point? <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many things that we can talk about. It's hard to pick a starting point, but I guess what I like to, um, think about is, you know, the American people and why we are so uh, confused and why we have really, it seems like two opposing camps. How, how do we have one group that is fighting for their freedom and another group that is, uh, you know, compliant with whatever the corporate media or social media tells them to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that is what you were getting at is that we all have to stand up. And so we have to somehow address uh, this half, I, I don't know if it's a half, but a large portion of the population that is just acquiescing to whatever 
uh, corporate media asks them to do. And so mm -hmm. I think that uh, that results from uh, an incredible level of deceit that's being perpetrated by the media. Uh, one that in, I, in my 45 years of existence have never witnessed anything like this before. And, you know, we can start with just mentioning uh, generally, we know that there's been de uh, deceit in the past. Uh, it, it, it popped up occasionally and we usually found about it years later. Uh, you know, there were things like uh, the Bay of Tonkin. Uh, there were, uh, you know, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Uh, we know the fairness doctrine was repealed in the 80s. Uh, there's a number of things, but they're kind of spread out. Whereas it seems now, every day, we're inundated with fallacy. And yeah. so, you know, I, I think we can start by pointing out uh, some of these lies. And so, where should we start? Um, <laughs> okay, so we can start with uh, Fauci himself. And I'm sure you, you, from what I've already heard you say, and I'm sure your listeners know, we know that Fauci has been uh, caught lying very clearly uh, in multiple cases, right? We have where uh, he, he lied about masks, whether they were effective, he switched from that they were not effective to they were effective. And, mm -hmm. and you know, he, he rationalizes that by saying, well, he wanted to make sure there were enough masks in the medical professionals' hands. Okay, yeah. but you're lying, right? So you've already, you know, will have forced us to, to question your veracity, right? But then he goes and continues to lie, right? He lied about whether the lockdowns were, were good, were effective or not effective. Uh, mm -hmm. He outright lied about gain of function research. And, and on multiple cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the US government has never funded and never will fund gain of uh, function research, right? And we saw this with Rand Paul, who I'm grateful questioned him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, thoroughly. Uh, and so uh, right there, when the person in charge is, is an outright liar, mm -hmm. how do we even, how do we continue? Yeah. Still there. He's still in charge. He's okay. still there. And, and what I want to say about masks is that when he first came out and spoke about masks, saying that they're not effective, that they don't provide perfect protection, that they leak, that people in the general public really can't wear them safely. They're always touching them. And they get there's one interview when the guy says it may get you get schmutz on your hands. He says, yeah, you get schmutz, you know, you're touching it. it you it even can cause you to self infect and and have make you more susceptible to illness. All of this was based on existing science pre-COVID studies about mask use by surgeons and, and nurses, the flu mask studies, all of this. He, he spoke the truth. And where he lied was when he came out and said that he, he, had, he said he lied, but that was a lie, you know, and said, oh, I just didn't want, you know, just to run out of N95s, which was, that, that was the lie. And I, there's a quote, and I don't have permission yet. I, I asked somebody, it was in a private communication. Um, I asked if I could quote, I'm going to say the quote without um, assigning it. But um, this is what it is. And I just love it because this is what we have seen going on. We know there's something much bigger than COVID happening here. And it's this brilliant 
research scientist that I know, um, brilliant MD, PhD. He said, confusion is always created as a prodromal stage of corruption. I'm gonna say that one more time. I think it's so profound. Confusion is always created as a prodromal stage of corruption. And for listeners not familiar with the term prodromal, it means before you get sick, um, where you have symptoms of symptoms, when things are just brewing and beginning to infect you and multiply, that's the pro prodromal pre-symptomatic stage before you really even know you're sick. And so this is pretty much telling us that by keeping the masses very confused, by flip-flopping, telling you um, masks don't work. Oh, masks work. I was just lying. Oh, you don't have to wear it here. Oh, no, you have to two wear two of them there. You know, you don't have to wear it. You're vaccinated. Oh, no, you have to wear it when you're vaccinated. All of this confusing is intentional. This is actually a psychological tool that is used in order to manipulate people and keep them in a place where they cannot be effective or active and they feel vulnerable. They don't feel empowered because they don't know what's going on. You know, I I agree. And I remember uh, when this first started up, uh, you know, in early 2020, my brother and I feeling incredibly confused. We, mm -hmm. we kept asking each other, I, why? Why, is, why are they trying to lock things down? Why are they shutting this down? We don't understand what's so dangerous. And, and then we started to see events unfold. And that only increased the confusion when they were when they were sending people away before the hospitals were full, telling them to go home mm -hmm. and only to reaccept them later on when the symptoms were far out of control yeah. or when they were telling uh, nursing homes that they had to accept and had to, uh, you know, hold the uninfected and the infected together when, when that is the most utterly confusing thing, because why would you <laughs> yeah. ever stick sick people and yeah. healthy people together? So there were right. so many things that made no sense. Yeah. And in several states, Washington state was one of them. Um, I didn't read where they said that you had the nursing homes had to accept people who are already infected. But what they did was move critical people in the hospital in, with critical situation, other medical issues out of there supposedly to free up space, but into nursing homes, the most dangerous place to put a susceptible person. Right. You know, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. It didn't, you know, it didn't make any sense. Um, so many things. And, you know, I, I talked about him in the last hour, but a local um, anthropologist whose name just went out of my head and it'll come back. I get that way. Anyway, um, he said, you know, when, when things don't make sense and, and, and they don't seem to, um, what they're telling you they're trying to achieve can't be achieved by what they're doing, basically. Um, there must be another reason. There must be another reason for it. If you can't make sense of it, if it's all confusing. And uh, yeah, so that state of confusion is very powerful. State of fear and confusion that they have everybody in. Well, I, and I remember, or, you know, or maybe it was the summer, early summer, late spring of 2020, we were so confused. And uh, my brother and I are very much into like researching the facts for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't trust corporate media. 
Uh, and there's a lot of great, we have the internet, right? There's a lot of great information out there. I will point out, I'm sure you've seen, great information has been getting pulled and deleted from the internet, not just, oh, yeah. but deleted altogether, yes. which is, uh, why? Why? Right. I don't understand how that half of our population right. is able to just get on board when, when one, when Fauci has been caught lying multiple times, mm -hmm. two, when when information is getting deleted, that's 1984 level oh. uh, action. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to get political as far as parties and presidents and all, but I'm, I, I do need to point this out. You know, we knew we were in serious trouble with censorship in the United States of America when a seated president who had, you know, nothing that they, anyway, when Twitter disbanded, a seated president, when a social media company said, we're not going to tell you what the president of the United States is saying. I, I agree. That is so frightening. And now we have Biden administration, Jen Psaki, his spokesperson, actually telling the public, oh, yes, we tell Facebook, we flag posts for Facebook and say, we don't like this post. <laughs> what? In the United States of America? Are you kidding me that it, it is just, this is where we are. It is so absolutely insane, the, the, the so, censorship, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's just talk about that really briefly, some of this uh, information then that's getting you know, flagged or removed. Uh, before, I, I don't know exactly when, and we weren't at this point in time, in, in 2020, uh, early, somewhere in the spring, we weren't at that point saving screenshots and printing uh, what we were finding on the internet yet, because we didn't think that it would be getting deleted. But I, I would like to point out that you were able to see total mortality in the U.S. at that point on the CDC's website. If you go there now, you immediately get uh, a little warning that you are leaving the CDC's website. Mm -hmm. that, the the uh, up-to-date information is no longer there. You have to go to another website. I wonder why what what all of a sudden changed that they can no longer hold it so we immediately grew skeptical of that uh, and that was more recently when we, when we found it was missing or that we had to go somewhere else so we said hey let's go look at washington states mm -hmm. well washington yeah. state's uh, data is not for 2020 uh, is not published at all yet how is it nine months later we still don't have total mortality data in washington yeah. state yeah, so I, I pulled up on the screen and I'll describe this to listeners, the um, website OpenVares, openvares.com and VAERS is spelled V-A-E-R-S. And you could go to their COVID vaccine data link to their tab. And we have now with VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, it's a passive system that anybody can report to. But 65 to 85% of all reports are filed by doctors, um, medical institutions, nurses, and what have you. By law, they, re re they are required to report to this system. Um, anything reported here, um, they say cannot, causality cannot be determined by, by this, and even frequency of event cannot be determined by this. It suffers from extreme under-reporting. However, the system can be used to find red flags and safety signals, and there has never been since massive red flags and safety signals for a product ever. So as of August 20, 
2021, there have been 623,341 reports filed with bears. Of those, there have been 13,627 reports of death following receipt of the, um, any of the COVID shots. 4,785 cases of Bell's palsy, and they do know the mechanism of injury from these the mRNA products that leads to Bell's palsy. There's a published study on that now. Um, 100,000, almost 101,000 office visits. Uh, 17,790 people, 94 people are reporting that they are permanently disabled following receipt of a COVID shot. These numbers are absolutely staggering, and yet they licensed one of these products. This, I, I, you know, this just blows my mind. I want to go through here with you, um, Dylan, real quick, what you can do here. Let me pull up. There used to be like a search button. Let me see if I can find it. They rearranged their page a little bit. We've used this extensively to look yeah. through data. Were they, Where'd they move the button view all? Oh, this one here, there's search. So let's look at Washington state, um, state. Pull it up here. We're gonna look to see what Washington state numbers are. Do we wanna just see deceased or all? We'll start with all and then we'll move to deceased. So- um, and we, we like to point out when you're, when you're using this, uh, prior uh, to COVID, the numbers the, for all, again, this is for all vaccines uh, prior, it was mm -hmm. like 5,000. Yeah. 5,000 prior. And now in this short period of time, mm -hmm. we're up to 13,000. Yeah. And we've got um, 13,000 more. Yeah. Uh, fatalities and actual reports in Washington state, according to this, there have been 11,873 Washington state patients getting the COVID shot who reported some sort of adverse reaction. The first two listing are just a little alarming. Age 35, uh, sex is male, severe chest pain, very short of breath, felt like it might be a heart attack, diagnosed as pericarditis, severe pain lasted two days, breathing affected for two weeks, seems to be back to normal now. Well, that's good, but who? you don't know with heart inflammation, my first um, guest, um, today is somebody who had been waiting for a heart transplant and he, he's now been denied it because he refuses to get this dangerous shot, which damages your heart. It makes no sense. Um, and then there's another one, 78 year old male, um, deep vein thrombosis. Um, he ended up with, here's a 36 year old female, um, arthralgia that's pain and swelling, chills, pyrexia, headache, injection site, there's a 17 year old on next like that's the saddest part as a teacher that we're subjecting our children mm. to this when our children would be at pretty much no risk at all from the yeah. actual virus yeah yeah and let's we'll, we'll just look real quick and then we'll continue with our conversation um just to see how many people were reported again it's we're not saying that it caused for sure but you know I don't understand how the CDC can get away with saying, as they attempt to do, that, yeah, there have been 13,000 reports of death, but none of them were due to the vaccine. None of them. Right. And when you read some of these, there have been 135 deaths in Washington state reported. When you read of them in, in somebody who's young, here's somebody 34 
died June 25th after cardiac arrest on June 23rd, eight days after a vaccine. Cardiac arrest in a 34-year-old. Um, you know, so... So, yeah, my brother-in-law got his second shot and that night died of a stroke at 40 years old with your brother-in-law yes with no family history oh i'm so sorry thank you but it's it's how yeah. many other people are in this and and what will they say there's there's no causality yeah yeah I mean, it's they should research it are, are they doing autopsies are they are they doing autopsies yeah. and looking and finding the blood clots and determining if the spike protein is present in those blood clots? And if they are, where, you know, why aren't they sharing this information? Well, we know why they're not. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's alarming to say the least. Yeah, I'm going to share something else with all of you now. Let me find the, here we go. Um, there's a new nonprofit that's just in its founding stages and it's being run by the a brilliant woman, <clears throat> excuse me, named Joy Fritz. <clears throat> this is the, um, uh, it's called Fran Factual Reporting Advocacy Network. You can go to fran.group and it will uh, direct you there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to take a drink real quick. And the goal of this nonprofit is to help families who have loved ones who've passed away and they don't believe the cause of death was recorded accurately on the death certificate. Without accurate death certificate reporting, that's where, the, that's where the numbers come from. That's where the data comes from that drives public policy. It always has. And Fran uh, Joy Fritz has understood for years that there's an awful lot of inaccuracy with death certificates and the need to improve them because if you don't improve them you don't improve the situations that lead to death you know and like um i'll give you one for instance that's a pre-covid example was um there was a report several years ago of a teenager dying of the flu and an interview of the coroner he had said no she didn't overdose on tylenol and i was curious about that statement so i I, um, I called the coroner and he said, I said, what did you mean by that? And he said, well, the flu had damaged her liver. And so she took a normal dose of Tylenol, but because her liver was temporarily at least compromised, she wasn't able to break down the Tylenol and Tylenol can be highly toxic with just like one extra dose. And she wasn't breaking it down. He said it became very toxic and she passed away. And I said, but you put the cause of death as the flu. And he says, yes, because, you know, she really did die of the flu. And I said, but if she had not taken Tylenol, acetaminophen, would she have died, do you think, in your expert opinion? And he said, no, she likely would not have passed away were it not for the Tylenol. Now, we need death certificates that record that information properly so that individuals who have the flu are deciding what medicine to take are aware that potentially Tylenol may you know, not be the right thing to reach for. Um, and, and then of course with COVID and we've got such manipulation going on. So I just wanted to let you know that um, that, that exists. I don't know what was put on your brother-in-law's um, certificate of death. 
But if, if you have disagreements with it and you want to maybe pursue it, that is an organization and nonprofit started to try to help. Thank you for that. Um, I will look at that. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, since we're just talking about that, I would say, and I'm sure again, you've looked into it, but they rewrote the rules about how to fill out death yes. certificates just prior to this. And, and the language in it is so uh, strange that it's, if, if they were suspected of having COVID, then it gets marked as COVID. But if you've had a vaccine and then you die, there's no there's no uh, concern about that. That's a, you know, this is what I'm yeah. talking about when I say deceit. How yeah. can we say it one way for the actual virus and the complete opposite for the vaccine? The, the other one was uh, the PCR tests initially. I will point out that the FDA has pulled that from their website as well. But the uh, PCR tests, we, I think most of us know, were run at 45 cycles, right? Mm -hmm. for, uh, for people suspected of having uh, COVID and no vaccine. Mm -hmm. and 40 to 45 and and people who did have the vaccine initially anyway were it was run at 25 before they just yeah. said that they weren't going to do it at all i want to point out though how pcr works it, yeah quickly um it's it's this you know it's uh polymerase is an enzyme you have and if it finds the uh if it finds a, a dna strand and and the primers you put in match it will, it will duplicate it, but it makes mistakes. Uh, you know, primers can be in the wrong place at the right time and it'll duplicate it. So it's all about duplication. And what, the reason I'm saying that is when you run something at 10 extra cycles, that means two to the 10th power is 1,024. You get a 1,024 fold increase, 1,000 times higher. Now, if you run it at 20, times more that's two to the 20th power that is over a million times increase in something that's not even there so how do you <laughs> rationalize those pcr tests run at 40 to 45 cycles when you can have an, a, a million fold increase it, right and most scientists would say you don't well, you know, and Fauci famously a year or so ago in one of the, his interviews that went to podcast was saying exactly what you're saying, but in, you know, a little bit more uh, friendly terms is, oh yeah, anything above a 30 is probably just noise and the person is not infectious, you know? So then why are you, why are why is everybody running them so high? And why are you making this person stay home from work for two weeks and making her school shut down? When there's a positive at a, at a, when they spun it so many times, you, you're not getting real information. And right. then there's also the timing of when you administer, there's only so many days after infection that the PCR can actually detect properly. And, you know, all of this, but nothing happening is being based on the science, you know, it's just so crazy. And, and so this is what I, I would like your listeners to continue to think about and to continue to ask. Uh, their fellow Americans who are on board with mandates. You know, why do you trust people who are continuously deceiving you? Like, it, it, it just doesn't, it's not logical. No. And so, uh, and you don't have to believe, please don't believe me. Please go out and research it for yourselves yeah. and talk with your community members about it. I think that is, is crucial to getting people to wake up. 
Yeah, it's very crucial. And it depends on where you live too. If you're living in an area where all of the media and, and all of your neighbors, they're all listening and watching and learning from the same sources. And those sources are, are sort of towing the line with what the CDC propaganda is saying. Yep, Bernadette used the word propaganda. I don't like to use that word. It's very, um, anyway, there, there's a word for it. I don't know why I, I chose to have our radio show between three and five in the afternoon, because this is the time of day when, you know, I have those memory right. fades. <laughs> so I'm always losing words. But. So, yeah, well, you know, let's point out some of those things that they're hearing in the media. My neighbor said this to me. She said, yeah. uh, well, you know, uh, mRNA is the uh, vac- or mRNA medicine or vaccines or whatever we want to call them is the future of medicine. And and I I just, I didn't really at the moment know how to respond. And then I thought about it and I thought like, why is it the future of medicine? So do you know how it's the future of medicine or what kind of medicine the future would be if that were true? Yeah. Since mRNA is short lived in your system, that means anything that they were able to cure using mRNA, you would have to repeatedly go and get uh, an injection of. Instead of working on how to cure it once, or you know, a handful of times, you're talking about permanently having to go in and get these shots. And when you think about it, it's, it always is about the money. Which one would a, big, would a pharmaceutical company choose to do? Would they choose yeah. to cure you or put you on a palliative where you had to pay them yeah. monthly for the rest of your life? So if that's the kind of future of medicine you want, then it is the future of medicine. But that's not the kind of future I want. It's the future of the medical industry, not the future of real health. And I come back to the images that are, you know, I want people to think about. We have to empower. We have to flip the paradigm. The Center for Disease Control, the National Institute of Health, the FDA, they're all captured by the industry that feeds off of disease. And we have got to flip it. It should be health nature first, drugs last, health first, not fear disease, bolster the immune system, do what's, what's best and least invasive first, right, to support that to avoid some of these outcomes, but none of this is profitable. And yeah, it's, um, it's I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I talk uh, I, from again, from the beginning, uh, there, I looked up uh, articles, journal articles, um, you know, clinical studies, from 50 years ago, where they mm-hmm. talked about coronaviruses. And, and what did they say in those studies? They, they said, uh, you know, quercetin and zinc are incredibly effective yes. at controlling uh, replication of yeah. coronaviruses, right? Glut- where yeah. we're at, you know, yeah. and that's health, right? That's eating healthy. Right. And glutathione, you know about, tell us, you tell us about glutathione or do you want me to That's the reducing, the, the reducing compound in your body. So it helps to control uh, inflammation. It, it helps to uh, break disulfide bridges. I think it's, is it breaker form? It's been a while since I was in. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, and, and you talk about it as a scientist and I'm more of the layperson approach. I just know that it, it's, it, it helps your immune system deal with what's coming along and it's, it's antiviral they have found. And if you if you enter disease low in glutathione, 
It increases your risk of severe disease. And if you don't give your body the building blocks it needs to replace it, because you use up a ton of glutathione when you're sick, you use, use up vitamin C and DNA. That's why you need nutrient protocols when you're sick. And it's sort of like, and you compare it to a car. So if you get into a, a brand new car that's got you know, oil and lube and gas and all the things that makes the car go. See, I'm not very good with auto mechanics either. But anyway, if your car's really ready to go and you're going to go up a mountainside, you're going to really stress this car and, you know, you're going to do great. But if along the route, as you, you know, if you don't, if you have a really long trip, you don't add gas, you don't check your oil, you don't make sure that your radiator's got fluid in it you're, you know, you're going to eventually, because you're burning those things up, you're using them and your, your body's the same way. So if you, if you're getting into it, if you're, a, if your body's a junker, when you're exposed to COVID and you're already low in things, you know, you start climbing that mountain, you're in big trouble. So, you know, we need yep. to bring on all of the nutrients that our body needs to be healthy. And then as we use them up, we need to continue to supplement and glutathione. Now, Tony Fauci in the 1980s was in on a study about um, HIV. And they found that the precursors to glutathione, the three amino acids, that, that when you give that, the glutathione will prevent HIV viral replication. So he's known a potential treatment if not cure for HIV all of this time. And with COVID, it has got to be out there. And what is really fascinating is you've been able to buy one of the, the key components of N-acetylglutathione, uh, 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 the supplement, um, N-acetylcysteine. That's the, the critical one you need for years. Yeah. You can buy it on Amazon and everywhere. And now mm -hmm. the FDA is saying, oh, hey, that's a drug. You guys shouldn't be selling it. Yeah, right. It was selling off the shelves for the past year and a half, we, right? We should point out that uh, Fauci has a patent for uh, HIV, for an HIV vaccine. So I don't think he wants anyone to be cured by health measures. Yeah. So and, you know, the other thing about the mRNA, that it it's a technology that is still in its infancy. And when you listen to... Oh, what's the guy's name? Who's the um... Malone? Yes. Yeah. So Robert Malone, when he talks about it. So this whole technology was originally begun. They were going to try to like cure cancer with it, but they found out that they couldn't use it without it triggering a strong antibody response. And they oh, said, right. Hey, yeah. He said, well, you know, let's make lemonade out of lemons because with vaccines, you want an immune response. So they shifted the mRNA over to the vaccine side, but there's so many problems with it. And one of the, just one the of the problems, study. what? The ferret study. Yeah. Tell us about the ferret study. Uh, they tried to do an mRNA. Uh, I think it was coronavirus vaccine and mm -hmm. the ferrets uh, showed a very good response to the coronavirus that the vaccine was specifically made for. However, mm -hmm. when the ferrets were exposed to the wild type coronavirus, which, you know, common cold is in the family of a coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So when they were exposed to the wild type, they all died. Yeah. Or, or almost all of them died. 
And and Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, who belongs in prison, I can, I, you know, I when when people are lying to the American public on TV, I can say that. Um, and that I, was the you Monsanto know, Monsanto vice president, right? Was she the? Oh no, I'm talking about the current Rochelle Walensky, the the current head of the okay. CDC. I'm getting her confused. Sorry. Yeah. No, this is this is the current head. She actually admitted, probably because people are witnessing it so often before their very eyes. She said, "If you were um, vaccinated with the COVID shots, you are at higher risk of severe disease to the Delta variant, and therefore you need to go get the booster." So Israel just <laughs> Israel just released. Uh, you know, a press release that the uh, the people most at risk right now in Israel are people who have two jabs. Yes. So now they are requiring everyone to get their third jab in order to have the freedom to move around. And again, I ask, what else would a pharmaceutical company want, but for its customers to have Mm -hmm. to get an injection every six months? And it'll soon become three months just to stay alive. But but the problem is, is it's not keeping them alive because it's making them more susceptible to severe disease and to all these adverse reactions. This, the blood studies of those with natural immunity shows, and I've got it on informedchoicewa.org, um, one of the posts, is shows that it, you have very good, and they're calling it like super antibodies, to up to like 23, 24 variants, including Delta variant. So if you had COVID, you're good to go, right? Yeah, totally. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this mRNA vaccine that Mm -hmm. they choose to use the spike protein. They choose one protein. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm close. Uh, There's 29 proteins in the coronavirus, in the COVID virus. Why would you choose only one protein? Why would you choose just the spike protein to create the uh, mRNA for, right? So if you, the way the immune system works, I'll I'll try to be quick and not too technical, but you have two major arms of the immune system. You have the one that produces antibodies and it floats around uh, in your fluid and tries to find things outside of your cells or stuck to the outside of your cells. But you have another major portion of the, the second arm of your immune system, which is where your uh, immune cells, your CD8 cells, they, they swim around and they look, they inspect your own cells. So when a virus goes into one of your cells and, in, and infects it, it gets broken down into bits and pieces, which your cell then says, hey, these are foreign. We must show these to the outside of the cell so that our, our natural uh, immune cells, our, our you know, the cytotoxic cells, uh, will recognize them. And so this whole, this, this uh, one entire arm of your immune system only gets to see one protein instead of 29 proteins. Which one do you think provides better long-term immunity? Exposure to a single protein or exposure to 29 of those proteins? Yeah, well, I'll go for the 29, Alex. <laughs> well, and, and then you would, yes, absolutely. And then, then we would think about, well, so why is there only one protein? And then, well, of course, because if that one protein undergoes sufficient mutation, it will be completely unrecognizable by your immune system. Mm-hmm. You, you will treat it as if it is a new virus altogether. 
Whereas if you had exposure to the 29 proteins, if that spike protein mutated, your body would still recognize the other 28 proteins. So again, people should be asking, why? Why did these pharmaceutical companies design it this way? Was it for our best interest or was it for their profits? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I fully agree with you right there. It just, there was, and they had it all good to go. The technology was there. The NIH had been working closely with Moderna um, on all the technology and they all shared the technology. They're all getting a piece of the pie. Everybody's, oh, yes. yeah, everybody's getting the profit. And I believe- then- yeah, four of the uh, four of the people who work directly under uh, Fauci have patents yeah. on some of the vaccines. So they're all together. And, yeah. and again, it's just not trustworthy. Yeah. Um, so we were we were talking about um, you know deceit. You know, I, I'm sure you you saw the uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, the the one with the pregnant women, uh, where the opening of the article states that this is. We have determined that this is not dangerous to pregnant women, but then you go down and read the table of data and there's, I think it was like 800, uh, around 800 and uh, a total and only 100 of the, uh, of the um, individuals of the, of the uh, mothers were in the first trimester. So mm-hmm. they determined for the entire 800, there was a 12% miscarriage rate which is not terribly far from what's natural. But when you look at the first trimester women, it was like 96% miscarriage rate, which is insane, incredible. But the thing that I'm pointing out is the deceit, how the article begins with, Mm -hmm. it is, we have not found this to be dangerous to women. Uh, I would say to any any, uh, mother-to-be, out there, are you willing to take a ninety-six uh, percent chance? Oh, sorry, ninety-three uh, percent. I'm looking through my notes. Ninety-three uh, yeah. percent chance at miscarriage. I, yeah, I, not I, safe. Right, and I, I in especially in the absence of long-term safety studies for any public health agency to be actively encouraging women, calling it safe and effective. You cannot know. It is impossible to know what the long-term impacts are going to be. You might be able to see some short-term impact and maybe it's not as bad as they were saying, although obviously the study that you're quoting there, if you got it in the first trimester, it certainly does look very bad. Um, You know, there's just not enough information, at least be honest and say, we don't know. But, right. but again, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the director of the CDC, I don't understand the head of the CDC should be, when you're head of an organization that the entire world is looking to, leadership is you get in front of everybody and you say, we got this. I'm confident that we've pulled all the science together. Here are the early treatments. Here are the things you can do. Here are even these vaccine products, although I think, you know, they're, yeah. But if you just give honest answers and a lot of whole lot of we don't know, so you give the whole thing and you tell everybody we can do this. No, she goes on national TV every week and says that she's afraid. I'm so afraid. I'm, you know, it's just, and she's, she's almost in tears. And the one that just fried me where she says, I'm going to go off script here. And then she glances down at her script and she <laughs> continues to read from the freaking script. 
this these are the sort of idiots running the show here and i don't i don't understand how anybody could see that and not understand you know i don't want anybody to die of covid i don't want anybody to die of response to covid you know i just want scientific integrity in public health policy i want our doctors free to prescribe what works for their patients i want medical freedom of choice you know it's that's all i'm fighting for here you know yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. I'm happy that you're bringing up, you know, this honesty, because uh, I keep bringing up the deceit because it's that, you know, that's we're talking about the same uh, subject. There's a few other quick things I wanted to just throw out there about, you know, deceit. You probably already talked to people about it, you know, but ivermectin. Yeah, uh, my brother went to buy some for his wife. Uh, and the major um, pharmacies wouldn't give it to him, even though he had right. the prescription. And they, they, right. they only dance around why they could not give it to them. They would not outright say, no, we don't have it. Uh, they would just say, oh, we can't give it to you. He then went to a smaller one and mm -hmm. he was able to get it the first time. And then the second time he went there, they yeah. were unable to give it to him. Why are they, why are they chasing away? Like a, they're being, a they're, right. They're being bullied. They're being bullied from the powers that be to stop prescribing it. Um, it is absolutely, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the congressional hearings on this and there, there are congressional hearings being pushed for, for all of the deceit, the CDC, um, manipulation of the death certificates that you mentioned, the, um, the PCR flawed PCR test in the way they're being used, the suppression of early treatments, all of this, um, they're calling for congressional hearings Excellent. in order to get a, um, grand jury. Is it that what it's called? There's a type of jury, um, but there that is being pushed for, and that's exactly what we need because something really bad is happening, and it's not yes. COVID, right? And again, this and the new Delta variant swirling around for is is very it um, multiplies very quickly. Symptoms come on much more quickly, and it can be very severe. I'm not minimizing that somebody could have a severe case. I am promoting getting people the treatment they need to prevent it from becoming severe. And when they're in the hospital, making sure they get the good treatment and not yeah. remdesivir and not the, you know, again, I'm not giving medical advice. I'm just giving you information to go look up because I have been, I've just been reading the data, right? right. Reading the information. Totally yeah. Agree. Yeah. And, and the, the, I guess the main thing though, that I, that I wanted to really say then is, you know, so now we're protesting against this. Uh, we, we've been up in Snohomish, we're out in Monroe, uh, we, we travel around, we're supporting, uh, we're, we're arm in arm together with firefighters, with the medical workers, with the other mm -hmm. government workers, and the teachers, and we're, we're trying to call attention, and we're telling people, just pull over and come out and stand with us, and, mm -hmm. and here's, what it, here's what it's about for us now, when it comes to this mandate, the, the vaccine does not stop the spread. It says it right on the CDC's website. And you'll hear things in the news like, well, it, it doesn't stop the spread, but it, it slows it in the, uh, if you're vaccinated, you don't spread it as greatly. Well, what I like to point out to that is then Gibraltar, a nation at 99% vaccination, mm -hmm. is having outbreaks. Israel at over 91% is having some of their largest outbreaks. And mm -hmm. Iceland at over 80% is having by far their biggest outbreak. So if, if this vaccine stops the spread so well, which the CDC says it doesn't, 
then why are yeah. these countries suffering so greatly? And why was mass media using data in America from January to June to mm -hmm. tell us that it slows it down? Because back in January, there weren't a whole lot of people who had the vaccine. So of course, most of the people who were getting it were unvaccinated, but they're using this information yeah. as yeah. if it were true. Yeah. And so people have to start asking why, and they have to start asking their neighbors, why do they believe when there mm -hmm. is clear uh, mm -hmm. falsehoods being passed to them? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's, you know, if you entered COVID with a healthy distrust of, of public health agencies, it was so obvious. Every step they made, you saw it. But if it was new to you, if, if you believed your doctor, you believed in medicine, you thought CDC was this grand and noble organization that looked out for public health globally, then it's quite a journey to end up where we are. It you know, is. I can see that, but it's become so absurd. I don't know how you can not see it. You know, and I was listening to, I was flipping through the, the radio and I landed on the station I never heard before. And it was these, it was a talk show, but it was all pro-vaccine. And they were saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm really concerned about my grandma because turns out she was exposed to COVID here recently. So we're trying to get her a, a test to see, you know, and of course she's vaccinated and everybody in the household's vaccinated. And uh-oh, we ran up against the time. I wasn't paying attention. Dang. <laughs> Thank you so much. I yeah. really appreciate being able to talk with you. You bet. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Neary. And you've been listening to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNWC. We've got a lot of passion and we'll be back next week. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.